Welcome to the Alien Beer Podcast. I'm Chrissy Garrison, and I will be reading my science fiction stories to you. Last time on the Multiverse Blues, Jules has a harrowing encounter with the TSA. The crew's robot, Zamboni, makes an appearance. They learn that everyone has doppelgangers out in the other verses. As the crew of Hope's tour passes through the Arch to Gamma, Jules experiences the full effect for the first time. The Multiverse Blues, Chapter 4, Last Fair Deal Gone Down Interdimensional travel is kind of boring. Well, most of it was, during the part we spent between the Arch on my own Beta Earth and the one on Dribbler's Gamma Earth. Once the hallucinations and weird dreams had passed, it was just a bus ride, more or less. The crew sat and chatted about the last show, and there was some talk of payment and goods, but my head still needed some recovery time, so I zoned out. Jasmine curled up next to me on the couch and joined me in ignoring the conversation. A few minutes later, my curiosity got the better of me, and I rejoined Zamboni in the driver's compartment. Knowing the robot's lack of social skills, I decided to just watch out the windows with him in silence. The outside consisted of an amorphous, multicolored murk. I thought of it as a technicolor fog. At times, tendrils of mist came at us with a disturbing solidity, but Zamboni seemed unconcerned. Not that I could read any expressions on his crystalline face, or even make out a face for that matter. The shifting shapes of the fog reminded me of watching the undulations of a lava lamp. Shapes emerged and morphed and retreated. Sometimes the shapes resembled distorted faces. Other times, blobby animals seemed to stretch out of other masses like taffy, only to squish into other unrecognizable shapes. Once, for only a second, the fog cleared, and I caught a glimpse of an actual place. I saw a grassy field full of bison. A frozen column of black smoke loomed over one horizon. There was much more detail, but like a dream, I only retained so much from that flicker of a moment. After a little more time watching the space between worlds, outside of time, my stomach began to churn with a sort of motion sickness. On my way back to the main cabin, I patted Zamboni on his cylindrical casing, grateful that I didn't have his job. The robot remained impassive. As I returned, Ms. Davenport said with a smile, Did you see any slithy toves? I snorted, I don't think so, unless they resemble buffalo. She tapped her lips, considering this. Not usually. They tend to gyre and wave like the Jabberwock. Why, did you see some buffalo outside? I nodded. I think so. Just a flash of a place in the fog, but it was gone as soon as it came. Harlan slapped the couch cushion next to him to invite me to sit. Good thing we didn't bump into any. Next time, you should try to mark the time and position. It might be worth something to the Arch Authority. They give bounties to folk who find new worlds to check out. Dribbler added, it's a bit like tuning an analog radio. Sometimes if you're watching very carefully, you can tune in on a verse. If it's still there when the Arch Authority sends someone back to check it out, they might be able to send explorers through. Pays pretty good, even if it's really rare, said Babs. But only if it works out, and only if it's useful. Empty worlds are good for resources, but ones with people we can talk to and trade with are worth a lot more. Babs' last word dragged out like a singer holding a note. More. During that elongated several seconds, the room distorted. It stretched out and snapped back, and dizziness threatened to overwhelm me. At the 
end of Bab's elongated word, my head reattached itself to my body, and I found Harlan had laid a steadying hand on my upper arm. Not as bad as your first time, hmm? He said. I patted his hand with my own, and he withdrew. I smiled and nodded. Yes, I didn't hallucinate or pass out, so that's progress anyway. Zamboni's voice buzzed over the intercom. Gamma Earth Arch Authority welcomes us to the world. Current programming is to continue on to the scheduled cargo rendezvous and then on to the first musical engagement. Babs grimmed at me and said, Want a glimpse of your first new world, Chica? I nodded. She touched a pad near the windows on her side of the bus. The windows shifted from dark opaque to merely tinted. The terminal outside the Gamma side arch was gray, gravelly, and dusty. Other large vehicles and shipping containers lined the roadway leading from the arch. People in coveralls milled around, carrying tools or clipboards. Flickering fluorescent lights covered the ceiling of the terminal, illuminating everything in a dim, bluish glow. Not much to see, is there? I said, a bit disappointed. Babs laughed. Wait till we get to Delta. That is something to see, let me tell you. Gamma's got plenty of more interesting sights than this grungy warehouse. It's gorgeous at twilight times. People dress pretty here, too. Classy. I saw what she meant. Once we passed out of the cargo area of the terminal, I noticed people lining up to board other buses and trams. At first glance, I felt like I'd fallen into an old movie. Men wore fedoras and sharply tailored suits. Women sported flouncy knee-length dresses, as well as hairdos piled high upon their heads. As I looked closer, I noticed that everyone wore masks. Men's masks tended to be plain white, while women often had masks in colors and patterns to match their clothing. I confess, I felt a bit disappointed not to see anyone like me, only men and women, with no room for anything in between. Perhaps they all dressed in formal wear for travel? I hoped casual wear would allow lines to be blurred a bit more, or I'd very likely stand out like an alien in this place. After La Esperanza drove out from underneath the great canopy of the terminal area, I could scarcely see anything outside. The late evening of my world had already gone dark and gamma. Lights shone from windows in buildings all around the arch terminal and from the few vehicles on the streets. I wondered if maybe time on the other side of the gates might be different, or if perhaps I had emerged in a different part of the world. Is this still Indianapolis, but gamma style? I asked Dribbler. He nodded. Yeah. Arches don't always line up, but they do between Beta and Gamma. Naptown's pretty different here. It wasn't one of the cities hit in the war, being so far inland, and it wasn't a strategic target. Grew a lot after, though, but it's still a fraction the size of your Andy. Not as many people around, and the nukes scared people away from city living. The thought gave me a chill, so I changed the subject. How far to the rendezvous? Ms. Davenport answered. Not far. It's out by the airport. A warehouse. Dribbler, we'll need your services as local guide again. Dribbler's face fell, and he stared at his shoes. Ah, Marcy, you know how I feel about this place. I left here for a reason. She nodded and pressed her lips together. She paused to tuck a lock of her hair behind her an ear before replying. All the same, we can't afford to get swindled again. You know the people here. Please, James. He glanced up at her and sighed. Okay, but I'm not going alone. I'd like to take Babs and Jules with me. Babs gave him a little salute and a wink. Absolutely, darling. I won't let them bully you, sweetie. Dribbler looked at me with puppy eyes, and I wondered what his world had done to him. I said, 
Won't I, um, kind of stand out? Harlan coughed. Yeah, I figure that's the idea. By comparison, Dribbler would fit right in. An icy twist in my gut must have shown in my face, because Harlan held up both hands, palms out. Whoa there, doll. I don't mean you no harm. You're as pretty as a picture, but these folks are a bit more, uh, traditional, if you catch my meaning. They skipped a couple of your world social revolutions while they clawed their way back from the Stone Age. As Harlan spoke, something haunted flickered behind Dribbler's eyes. Well, okay, if you think I can help, I'll go with you, I said, feeling a little protective of the big drummer for some reason. Babs switched sides of the bus to squish herself between me and Harlan, putting a slender arm around my shoulders. She guided my chin with her fingertips so that I would see her dark, wide eyes looking into mine. Honey, baby, you'll be fine. You just remember you're a badass, okay? Their ways aren't like yours. They won't know what to make of you, and that's a good thing. We want them off balance, you understand? I took in a deep breath and let out some hot, jagged feelings with a slow exhale. <sighs> yeah, I guess so. Dribbler chimed in. Believe me, dude, they'll know you're from another verse. Me? Well, let's say having someone local diverge from customs don't set well with them. Not at all. I decided not to take the bait by asking how Dribbler might be divergent. I changed the subject again. What do you even use for money between worlds? Ms. Davenport answered. Barter, mostly. Precious metals and gems, sometimes. We'll even take local currency if it's a place we're planning on coming back to, or if they have an exchange set up with a friendly neighboring verse. This time, it's a bit of a cultural exchange. What kind of culture, I asked. Babs giggled. Ever hear of the Beatles? I snorted. Duh. She grinned and patted my cheek. Beta really hasn't. Not the doors, either. Dribbler protested. But we do have Elvis. He doesn't tour anymore, but he's still the king. Babs rolled her eyes. Sure, but the point is, we got what they didn't have, and vice versa. We're trading them a stack of CDs and some really nice digital analog recording equipment. For that, they're giving us a couple crates of vinyl records that'll be a hit in Delta. That, and some other stuff. I'd heard some bootleg recordings from other verses, and I could see the appeal. The MPAA and the RIAA of my world came down hard on anyone caught distributing interdimensional recordings. This helped traveling musicians like Hope's tour, however, since it was one of the only ways beta folks could get a legal sample of the music of other worlds. Maybe half an hour later, we pulled off the main road into a dark maze of warehouses. The area wasn't nearly as well lit as I would have liked. Ms. Davenport approached me and said, just in case, as she handed me what I took for a garage door opener at first. Then I noticed two shiny metal prongs and a safety switch along with the big concave button. She said, it's a taser from Alpha. Try not to use it unless you need to, okay? I nodded and clipped it inside my sweater's sleeve. Harlan opened a hatch in the floor towards the back, and he and Ms. Davenport lifted out a few rugged plastic crates and put them on a wheeled cart. The doors opened double wide this time, and a ramp descended along with the stairs I'd already seen. Floodlights from either side of the hatch illuminated the near-empty parking lot. Cold air rushed into the cabin, and I shivered despite my sweater and leggings. The air of Gamma smelled winterier than the autumn air back home had. That, and it had a bit of plasticky, metallic campfire quality to it. Jasmine bounded down the stairs and sniffed at the night air and lashed her tail back and forth. "'Shouldn't we wear masks or something?' I said, as I spied a quartet of men in suits and masks standing protectively around a small pallet of wooden crates. 
Dribbler shrugged. Maybe later. A few minutes won't hurt you anyway. Besides, they're more for fashion than anything these days. I helped Dribbler and Babs roll the cart of goods down the ramp. It was a fair bit heavier than I expected. Jasmine bounded up onto the cart, sitting in a most regal fashion, as we rolled her out into the parking lot. I smiled at her, but she only had eyes for the four masked men. Her tail jerked and lashed, and I could feel the cat's agitation. Hey, what's up with the kitty? I asked Babs. Babs glanced at Jasmine, then frown lines creased her forehead. She turned to look behind us and murmured, Not sure, but look sharp, chica. When we were a few yards from the pallet of crates, Babs and I stopped, while Dribbler swaggered up to meet the others. Dudes, is one of you smiley? A rail-thin guy in a maroon suit and hat stepped forward to meet Dribbler. The man's eyebrows hovered above his steel-gray eyes like a pair of salt-and-pepper woolly worms. Mr. McGowan, so nice of you to flutter by, he said, to the titillation of the other three. In my peripheral vision, I noticed Babs tense and straighten, her hands hanging free by her sides. Jasmine leapt down from our cart and slipped off into the shadows. Dribbler hesitated, then shook the man's hand. Ah, uh, yeah. So are we doing business, bud? His voice dropped to a soft growl. Or maybe you came here to sing some old show tunes with me. The three guys with Smiley took a step toward Dribbler. Babs slid up behind her bandmate to back him up. I interposed myself between the cart and Smiley's men. My heart beat faster and my breath quickened. I had no idea what I'd do if this turned into a fight, but I palmed the taser and slipped off the safety, just in case. Smiley spread his hands, palms up, and his men stopped where they were. You're a very funny man, Mr. McGowan, but I don't care who you're funny with, he said, eyeing me for a long moment. I'm just joking with you. Let's trade, okay? The tension in the air relaxed just a bit. Jasmine appeared on top of the wooden crates sniffing and pawing at the edges. I watched her leap to another crate to sniff it, too. Her mouth hung open just a little as she let out a low, moaning growl. She met my gaze and shook her head twice, from side to side, then jumped down. Babs, I said, just loud enough for her to hear. Jasmine's not happy about the cargo. With a flick of her hand behind her back, Babs acknowledged what I'd said, and I took her warning to be a wary. My gut said I needed to do something more direct. I stepped up to the crate and said, You don't mind if we take inventory, do you, Smiley? Smiley laughed. What, you don't trust me, Cream Puff? He turned his gaze back to Dribbler and said, Your little friend don't trust me, dude. What are we going to do about that? Dribbler's expression clouded and he said, If we want to inspect the merchandise, I think you should let us. Standard business practice. You understand, don't you, Smiley? A guy in a houndstooth suit moved in and touched my waist to guide me to a different crate. I elbowed him in the ribs and then worked at the fastening on the crate Jasmine had indicated. Boss, warned a guy in a charcoal suit, taking a few quick steps to the side. The remaining masked man took several steps backward and drew a pistol, which he aimed at my head. I ducked down to hide from him behind the crate. Rough hands grabbed my shoulders and I cried out. Then... I jabbed the taser into the guy's thigh and squeezed the button. Zap! The rather satisfying electric jolt knocked Mr. Houndstooth into a convulsing heap on the pavement next to me. Crack! A gunshot rang out from behind me, and Smiley and the other two men ran in different directions away from the crates. Harlan's voice bellowed, Jules, get away from there! 
I scrambled to my feet and dashed back toward the ramp. Smiley called out an unintelligible order to one of his men. Crack! Boom! A wave of heat raced a thunderclap, which flung me onto the ramp. I landed in a tangle with Babs, who'd gotten there first. I looked up to see Harlan standing in the doorway, a long rifle in his hands, aimed at the sky. Jasmine stood at his side, her fur fully poofed, eyes round and wild. I peered back over my shoulder to look for Dribbler, but only saw a towering, fiery mushroom where the wooden crates had been. Thank you for listening to the Alien Beer Podcast. If you like my stories, please visit my website, sillyhatbooks.com. I publish as E. Chris Garrison, and my books may be found in paperback, ebook, and audiobook format on Amazon.com and other places. How do people who make stuff up for a living make stuff up? New York Times bestseller Jonathan Mayberry told us. Oprah's book club favorite Sue Miller told us. You know, you sort of take a character and make some bad things happen. How'd we get them to do that? We colored them, just like at a cocktail party, except through your headphones. Join us every Thursday for the Liars Club Oddcast. A slightly unhinged podcast where storytellers interview other storytellers. Available on Project Entertainment Network, iTunes, and everywhere podcasts are heard. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.